السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد الحمد لله by Allah's fadl we've reached uh, Sunday again and uh, I'm very happy that uh, upon the uh, order of our Mashaikh and our elders, uh, in particular Moana Sheikh Amin, uh, we get to read from the Shamayla, the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam compiled from Nam Tirmidhi. You can take a look inshallah the copy that we're reading from uh, and follow along. It is the Imam Ghazali Institute uh, print uh, of the translation of the Shama'il translated uh, and uh, edited and, and uh, with commentary by Sheikh Abdul Aziz Surata and uh, Sheikh Muhammad Aslam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward them and reward uh, the Imam Ghazali Institute for putting out this beautiful edition. And like we said, with uh, some notes and comments from the uh, commentary of Moana Sheikh, uh, uh, Sheikh Al Hadith Moana Zakaria Kandlawi Rahimahullah Ta'ala from time to time. Uh, and so uh, this is a reading of uh, Tabarrak, inshallah. Uh, and uh, again, I'm not the most qualified of people to be reading this, uh, but uh, inshallah, we take the barakah of the uh, Sanad that ends with the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the barakah that mentioned of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. With the intention that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in his book, وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَأَنْتَ فِيهِمْ وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ مُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَهُمْ يَسْتَغْفِرُونَ That Allah ta'ala wasn't going to send down torment as long as you were amongst them. Uh, and Allah ta'ala wasn't the one to torment them as long as they sought forgiveness. That we ask Allah for his uh, forgiveness for our sins. And at the same time, we keep the words of the Prophet وسلم, the sunnahs of the Prophet وسلم, amongst us as a shield that repels afat and balaya, that repels uh, calamities and tribulations from us. And that we learn something about the way that the noble Prophet وسلم, was and what his noble habits, customs, characteristics, inward and outward uh, were, so that we can adopt them on ourselves and hope that the Lord will see us and take mercy on us because we uh, did our best to measure up to the standard uh, of, of his love, sallallahu alayhi wa So we continue last week, we read from the, the chapter regarding the clothing of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the libas of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And uh, uh, today we read a very short chapter. Uh, uh, we start from a very short chapter. Babu ma ja'a fi aishi rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The chapter regarding the lifestyle of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Aish is, is what Aish literally means to live. So people ask each other nowadays, how are you living? So you want to know how the Prophet was living, this is how you're living. Sallallahu <laughs> عند أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه وعليه الثوبان ممشقان من كتان فتمخط في أحدهما 
وقال بخن بخن يتمخط أبو هريرة في الكفتاني وقد رأيتني وإني لأخر فيما بين بين منبر رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وحجرة عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها مرشيا علي فيجيء الجائي فيضع رجله على عنقي يرى أن بي جنونا وما بي جنونا وما هو إلا الجوع Muhammad bin Sirin from the uh, from the from the Aslaf from the Bit Mashaykh of the Salaf uh, from the Tabi'in he mentions we were with Abu Huraira while he was wearing two linen garments uh, dyed in red clay and these are these are fine clothing. Uh, these, are, these are fine pieces of clothing. He blew his nose into one of them. That uh, uh, he was wearing two linen garments. Linen is what? Linen is. Linen is like, for example, it's a really nice, uh, for a person who goes on Hajj, it's a really nice ihram. Um, uh, although a person should make sure not to buy it so thin that it's see through. Uh, but it is a very fine cloth made out of pure cotton. And it is woven very finely, and it's like a delight and a pleasure to, to wear and uh, uh, to be in. And it's in many ways an ideal cloth for being in the Arabian Peninsula. What's the problem? The problem with cotton is a very thirsty crop, so you can't grow it locally in Arabia. The, the clothing that was locally available in Arabia at, at a cheaper price was what they had available, which was not anything made out of cotton, but made out of hair, out of wool because they did have livestock, they did have herds, and so they had access to hair. But what's the problem? Wool is very warm clothing, and uh, it doesn't absorb sweat very well, and it doesn't uh, you know, keep a person cool, it doesn't breathe very well. Rather, it's ideal for the opposite, for keeping in heat. Uh, and so uh, you know, linen and fine cloth, soft cloth like that was very rare, and it was something enjoyed by the, the privileged privileged classes and upper classes during the life of the Prophet some very few people had it. So he blew his nose into one of his two linen cloths and he uh, exclaimed, Bach, Bach. So what is Bach? Uh, Bach is like an expression of approval or astonishment. Like you, like we say in Urdu, like Vah. Or like we, we say in English, for example, Wow. Uh, uh, and actually Vah and Wow are actually cognates. They're both essentially the same word. Uh, slightly differently in different languages. But we say, wow, wow, uh, uh, to express astonishment uh, and approval. So he blew his nose into one of his two linen cloths uh, that was dyed in red clay and explained, uh, wow, wow, Abu Huraira now blows his nose with linen. Yet by Allah, there was a time when I would fall unconscious between the pulpit and the messenger of Allah, the pulpit of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa and the room of Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha, such that a person would place his foot on my neck uh, uh, um, because I was thought to be insane. But I wasn't insane, it was just because of hunger. And so is it that he describes that he would writhe, uh, that he would writhe in pain and uh, uh, particularly the pain of hunger. 
where between the member of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the, uh, the, the room of Sayyidah Aisha Radiallahu Anha. And for those of you who are familiar with the uh, sacred uh, uh, layout of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's masjid, what is that, that space between the member and between the between the, uh, the Hujra of Sayyidah Aisha? The Hujra of Sayyidah Aisha Radiallahu Anha is where the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is buried. And most people are familiar with the hadith ma minbari wa qabri from the Riyadh of Jannah, the place between my, between my pulpit and between my grave is a, a garden from the gardens of paradise. And so now all of the, the wonderful and excited uh, pilgrims who come to Medina Munawwara uh, in order to uh, present themselves in the court of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and they say salam to him in person. They, they jockey and vie with one another in order to get into that Mubarak place. And people know it because it's marked by a different color carpet. It's green, whereas the rest of the carpet in the masjid is like more red. And um, they will rush in after every salat. And you know the guards sometimes have to like push people out of it because people, once they enter in, they want to stay. And uh, even from our Mashaif Qari Tayyib Rahimahullah Ta'ala, who is the teacher, the Ustad of Mawana Ameen, may Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala raise his rank and increase him in his uh, virtue and give him his status with the awliya and uh, uh, make our Shaykh who is a student uh, follow his footsteps and live up to his standard and make us live up to the standards of our Mashaif as well. Um, that uh, he mentioned that, that, that when a person goes into that place, and undoubtedly many of the ulama have, mentioned this through, uh, throughout the generations that when, when a person goes to that place that they should make the dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Allah the person who you enter into Jannah you never kick them out and people can go to the hellfire but then they can be taken out and go to Jannah but the way Jannah works in the Akhirah is what? is that once a person enters that person is uh, enter in wholeness and in safety in peace and in security, that you never, you never have to, uh, you never have to leave this place again. That just like you made Jannah like that, and you made this into a part portion of your Jannah, Ya Allah, now that you've entered me into this Jannah, never, never kick me out or never throw me out from it again. That Mubarak place that everybody fights in order to get into, and then people ask, did you pray in the Roba? Oh, I prayed this many rakahs in the Roba. I went into the Roba every day I was there. I went into the Roba this many times. Oh, I struggled to get into the Roba and I couldn't make it. That same Roba Mubaraka um, that, that, people, that people's love uh, causes them to compete with one another in order to get into. How did it become? How did it become um, a garden from the gardens of paradise? And the explanation of this is found in another hadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who said that the hijab, the veil that covers up and obscures uh, the hellfire from being seen for what it is by the people is what is shahwat, the, the carnal desires of people. But people desire things 
and so everything that a person desires, money, status, beauty, um, the pleasures of the flesh, the pleasures of eating and drinking, the pleasures of comfort, uh, the carnal desires, all of those things, a person will, will, will move toward them and keep making their life's purpose to go toward them until what? Until those things become like their bride and on the wedding night when they lift the veil, what will they see underneath it? It's all hellfire, it's all Jahannam. And on the flip side, uh, what is the uh, hijab of, of Jannah? The thing that screens Jannah, what is the niqab and the burqa of, of, of Jannah is what? Al-Makarih, those things a person hates. Struggle, sacrifice, mujahada, pain, suffering, dejection, loneliness, deprivation, being told no when everybody else is being told yes. This Abu Hurairah anhu, he had a home, he had a tribe. Medina wasn't his home and it wasn't his tribe. He had no one to feed him, he had nothing to eat and drink. He was there as a student of knowledge. And times would become tough, he would have nothing to eat or drink, he would writhe on the floor. He would writhe on the floor in, in agony. In what? The agony of hunger to the point where people would think that he's gone insane, that he's lost his mind, he's gone mad. And a person would put their, 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 their foot on, the, on his neck in order to stop him from riding. And so this is what he's describing. So now I'm wearing nice clothes. There was a time, forget about clothes, we couldn't even afford food. There's another hadith of the Prophet by the way, a very beautiful hadith that's relevant to this hadith. And Rasulullah Abu Hurairah who describes his faqa, he describes his difficulty um, in, in, that he went through. And the, in particular, the, the just intense hunger that he used to go through in order to, um, in order to, you know, to sustain being a student of knowledge. That uh, once uh, the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam came and he said, I was so hungry, I was about to lose it. I was like at the end of my wit's end. And the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam came with a big bowl of milk. And he says, Abu, ya Abu Hir, uh, uh, oh, and is the diminutive form. He says, oh, Abu Kat, come. He says, take this milk and then like, give it to all the other students to drink in the sofa. And he was thinking like, man, I'm the most hungry and I'm the one who needs this, the, the, as bad as is possible. You know, like the most, the, the one who needs it the worst, like the most in the dire way possible. Obviously you're not going to, you know, show attitude with the Prophet so They would uh, say we hear and we obey. So the poor Abu Huraira, he had to take the milk one by one to all the other students and they drank. But miraculously, the you know it was still there in the bowl. They all drank. They all drank, and then the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam says, "Now you drink," and he says, "I I would drink. I would drink." He says, "No, drink more. Drink more," and he gave him his fill, uh, and he said he drank until he could drink no more. Then the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam himself drank, and this is really important because you find in another hadith of the Prophet sallallahu narrated by Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha that. The household, the prophetic household, months would go by, two months would go by, and nothing was cooked in the house because there's nothing to cook. No bread. I mean, like nowadays, if you have bread in the house and you're only eating bread, a person would be like, you know, that's bogus. But people used to survive for long periods of time like that. Two months would go by, three new moons in a row, and then nothing was cooked. And they, you know, the, say the Aisha was asked, like, what did you guys used to survive on? And so she would say, we would survive on Aswadain, on, on, dates it on water except what except for from time to time the nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam had some neighbors from the ansar that would send some milk as a gift 
the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, so he would distribute it to his family. And so even this milk is what? It's a gift. It's a gift or it's a sadaqah that was sent by someone else's household. It's not like the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had all this stuff sitting around it and he was like, okay, you know, you guys are hungry long enough. I'm gonna, I feel bad for you, whatever. He himself didn't have anything. And guess who was the last one? And it wasn't that, by the way, it wasn't that he would keep the gift in his house and give the sadaqah to the others, which was true. If someone sent sadaqah, the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam never took from sadaqah and he made it haram on his family to take the money of zakat also. To this day, it's haram on his family to take the money of zakat. So here, it's not that he gave them the, the milk of sadaqah, and the evidence of that is he drank from it himself at the end. This is the, 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 the gift, the first milk he had, he knew the students were hungry, so this is also the milk that his family is going to drink from. Also, uh, uh, he's going to drink from, but what did he do? He gave it to the students to drink first, and then Abu Huraira was the last to drink amongst them. And so if you look at the order in which they drank, the order in which they drank is the reverse of the order of rank and merit. Because out of the students of the Sufa, Abu Hurairah who is the, the one whose name we hear mentioned the most frequently in the narration of the hadith, and who's the only one who drank after him, uh, is the Rasulullah. And this was a gift all of them were waiting for, like not waiting for it, but this was the gift that all of them needed. None of them had drank from before that. And so Sayyidina Abu Hurairah, imagine if he's that thirsty. There's one who drinks after him, sallallahu alayhi wa Imagine how thirsty he was. And so this is this is what this is why that Roda Mubarakah that's between the member and the grave of the Prophet sallam, is a garden from the gardens of paradise. It's because of these people's mujahadat, these people's struggles in the path of Allah Ta'ala. It's because of these people's sacrifices in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They saw very little material benefit. And what they saw was later on that they were able to wear linen. I mean, it's not all that different, different, different than the, the, the clothing that I'm wearing right now that we probably get mocked from being like a beggar in the streets nowadays. They used to say, wah, wah, look at the, the, you're wearing like soft clothing now. And they would feel guilty about it that we're taking too much from the dunya. As for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he left this world before any of those things have happened. So he said that uh, he said that I would fall unconscious between the pulpit of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the chamber of Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha, such that a person would come and place his foot on my neck uh, because I was thought to be insane, but I wasn't insane. I was just writhing hunger. And uh, you know, you have to understand, like when we read hadiths like this, and obviously we never went through this ourselves, but we did go through some some significant amount of difficulty in Mauritania, in Pakistan. Um, you know, in the Madaris where, you know, we wouldn't have meat or rice or simple things like that for, uh, you know, over a month at a time, uh, you know, going through those 125 degree temperatures or, you know, 35 degree temperatures at night without a blanket or, uh, you know, waking up shivering and convulsing, you know, those times when, uh, uh, you know, living, having to live semi-exposed to the outside, those times of uh, having to uh, you know, be eaten by mosquitoes or bitten by other uh, bizarre insects or all sorts of things. You know, like one of my classmates uh, that studied with me in Mauritania one time, you know, there was not, you know, Mauritania is not like a place where there's a lot of food going around. So he had purchased some dates from the city or sent one of the brothers who was going to the city to bring some dates for him. And so he stashed it away and saving it for a special occasion. A donkey got into his tent and ate his dates and literally ruined the entire thing. The donkey slobber everywhere. Donkey slobber is very thick and it's very gross. 
Um, and like I remember the dejection in his eyes and his face. This brother, by the way, is currently uh, ill with the coronavirus. I don't want to mention his name uh, so as to not cause him the technique of having to uh, uh, having to uh, deal with a, a, an inundation and flood of uh, of uh, whatever uh, du'a notes and texts and things like that. But he's a very good brother. He studied with me, and I consider him to be not just a friend but a brother. And he's been ill for two and a half weeks, and it's not getting better. And, uh, you know, there's no, you know, the, there's no space in the hospital. The doctors are trying to treat him at home, but he had to go to the emergency room just today and get x-rays and other, uh, you know, other procedures done. So please make go off for him. And that there are people in this world who suffered like that. He studied in Mauritania for so long that uh, he was basically on the verge of uh, suffering from liver failure after a couple of years. And uh, he, uh, he then uh, he was sent home by the Mashiach. He basically went and gave everything he had until he was about to die. And then the Mashiach said to go home and he studied quite a bit. Um, and so obviously it's not the same uh, as what Abu Hurairah is describing. We can never measure up to the companions of Allah. But this is a sunnah. Whoever wants knowledge, they're going to have to go through this sunnah. They have to be prepared to go through this sunnah. And this is where the barakah comes from. The great sacrifices can literally turn this earth, this earth, which is befouled by the sins of people, it's befouled by their oppression, it's befouled by their transgressions, it's befouled by their sins, it's befouled by their racism, it's befouled by the rich taking advantage of the poor, it's befouled by their arrogance. This, this, this earth that we're all on, it can also through the beauty and through the sacrifice and the mujahada and the nur and the ascension of people in their rank, can also be turned into, uh, as it was turned into by the best of generations, into literally a garden from the gardens of paradise. But the person who has the eye, outward eye, will see, oh, look, green carpet, that's really beautiful. The person who sees with the heart, you know, with the basira, with the vision of the heart. And there's a difference between eyesight and between vision. The person who has vision, that person can see what other people cannot see. That person will know that that jannah was earned uh, with these these great sacrifices. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased. When we say radiallahu anhum, when we read them in the hadith, we also say radiallahu anhum. When we read the Nabi sallallahu name in the in the dars, you also at home say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah ta'ala, really haqiqatan, Allah ta'ala be pleased with them. Um, that we have these hadiths uh, because of the, those uh, the, those sacrifices, faqat that those uh, noble companions went through. So we continue. He called Hadathana Kuteba to call Hadathana Jafar of Musulaiman, Bubaiu, and Malik Ibn Dinab, Kala, Mashabi Arasullah, Salah, Ali, who is Salam and Kubzin, Katu Wala Lahman, Illa Allah, Bafafin, Allah Malikun Sautu Rajulan, Min Ahil Badiatim of Bafahu, Kala and Yetanawala, Mahanas. Utaybah ibn Sa'id narrated to us from Jafar bin Sulaiman of Dubai, who narrated from Malik bin Dinar. Rahimahullah, uh, 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 so it's a hadith mursal. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam never ate his fill of either bread or meat unless he was eating uh, at a bafaf. This word bafaf was a, a, a kind of like a, a, a fancy vocabulary even from Malik bin Dinar. And so he said that uh, I, I asked some Bedouins, people who are known to be eloquent in their speech, what does the word bafaf mean? 
and he said it needs to eat with other people. Meaning what that the Nabi وسلم, only ate his fill uh, with others when a guest or uh, when a, a host or with others. Otherwise, his noble habit وسلم, you want to know about Aisha, the Prophet وسلم, how he used to live, he never ate his fill of food. Rather, he just had enough to, to get by. Which interestingly enough, strangely enough, is probably one of the most healthy ways of living and we see the evidence of it now. But it doesn't mean that it's easy. And uh, it doesn't, you know, take the, the 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 edge off of the suffering when a person doesn't have enough. We we you know we have to like stop eating for a little bit of time. People say, "Oh shit," you know, like you know, the best was like uh, an imam uh, uh, said that one of his one of his uh, parishioners asked him recently that we should suspend the fasting in the month of Ramadan. Why? Because people need to eat to keep their immune system up. Okay. Well, look, if your immune system is in such a, a compromised state that that's actually true, then there's some room for, there's some room for, uh, uh, you know, some room for discussion between the doctors and between the Muftis. But to ask to do it in general, I think most people, most people, you know, their comorbidity is morbid obesity and uh, uh, their immune systems probably would get somewhat of a jolt for them to eat less to be very frank with you, to be very honest with you. But even if we were to do that, we would do it only in as much as we needed to and to the point where it benefited us, then we would stop. Imagine that messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who describes that when he was being boycotted uh, uh, by Quraysh, that, that, you know, months would go, months passed and he had nothing to eat except for the small amount that Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu who could smuggle in his armpit. And who here wants to eat something uh, smuggled in the armpit of somebody. Um, and imagine how little that amount of food would be uh, to smuggle but past a picket or past a boycott without being detected that it's in the armpit of a person in like hot, sweaty Arabia. Um, but, that, you know, like that's the type of eating. It's not like just intermittent fasting so that you could be cool like the San Jose uh, Silicon Valley executives or whatever. That's like the amount of hunger that will harm a person. That was the hunger that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam went through. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala uh, send peace and blessings upon him and also give us the himma and tawfiq of making a little bit of struggle and sacrifice for his sake as an excuse so that our sins can be forgiven and calamity can be lifted from us and we can have some uh, some sort of nisbah with him Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in this world and in the hereafter and that we can also show, show our faces on the day of judgment and say, Ya Allah, we also gave something up for your sake. The next chapter is Babu Maja'afi Khufi Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The chapter which has been narrated concerning the leather footwear of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Khuf is something in the Sharia which is neither a sock nor a shoe. Um, it is akin to the footwear that people used to wear um, in earlier times, a type of footwear that people used to wear in earlier times that were kind of more made out of rawhide. And uh, um, so they didn't have a, it's like a shoe that doesn't have a sole on the bottom of it. And uh, there's a bunch of like fiqhi issues about wiping over hoofs and things like that. I'll spare everybody the, the, the details because this is not a fiqh of If you want to know the fiqhi issues, you're more than welcome to uh, go to my SoundCloud, soundcloud.com forward slash hmukbul and like listen to the chapter about uh, wiping over hoofs. There's like a long usuli discussion with regards to that, that, that issue in fiqh. But today we just want to know more about the hoof of the Prophet rather than, than just the legal uh, implications of wearing clothes. 
قال حدثنا وكيع عن دلهم بن صالح عن حجير بن عبد الله عن ابن بريدة عن أبيه أن النجاشية أهدى النبي صلى الله للنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم خفين أسودين ساذجين فلبسهما ثم توضأ ومسح عليهما. So we read this hadith from Hanab bin Sari. Rahimahullah tabarak wa ta'ala, which is uh, an individual whose hadiths come in, uh, in all of the uh, Sahih narrations. He's a really amazing individual. If you go to the Dar al-Hadith website of Mufti uh, Muhammad uh, uh, Abbas Omar uh, in South Africa, who was one of the close students at, at a time of Sheikh Muhammad Awama and still a close student of Sheikh Muhammad Awama uh, uh, in uh, now in Istanbul, who used to live in Medina Munawara, and who is himself a close student of Sheikh uh, Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda, one of the preeminent muhaddithin, Hanafi muhaddithin of the last century. Uh, he wrote a, a paper about him, so you can go to Dal Hadith and, and, and read about him. A very amazing individual, uh, a mountain of, 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 of the fear of the Lord and of steadfastness and deed. He said that uh, Waqiya, he heard this hadith from Waqiya, who himself is a great muhaddith and a companion of Abu Hanifa, who heard from Dalham bin Saleh, who heard from Hujair uh, uh, bin Abdullahi, who heard from uh, Ibn Buraydata, who heard from Buraydata that Najashi, the Negus of Abyssinia, uh, uh, gave as a gift to the Prophet وسلم, two black hoofs, two black, uh, uh, a pair of black leather uh, uh, footwear. And he immediately put them on and performed uh, uh, performed wubu, and then he wiped over them. And so there's a, a number of interesting things here. One is that uh, uh, the Abyssinians in that time, uh, their main export was uh, leather. And so that's one of the things that the Arabs used to trade them, with them. And so, uh, you know, Sayyidina Najashi radiallahu anhu who accepted Islam and the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam prayed his janazah uh, uh, um, as, you know, according to the Hanafis and Malikis as an exceptional case, he prayed his janazah remotely. Um, whereas the uh, Shawafi and I think the Hanabila also, although you correct me if I'm wrong, they take this as a, a delil that, that, that janazah can be prayed remotely when there's need. Um, but Najashi radiallahu anhu who accepted Islam, uh, he gifted uh, to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam two plain black kufs, two plain black kufs, a pair of leather foot gear. And the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam put them on immediately and he made wudu and he wiped over them, which indicated that he, he had wudu from before and uh, uh, he uh, he renewed his wudu and wiped over them and showed them how to wipe over the, the hoofs. دحية للنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم خفين فلبسهما وقال إسرائيل عن جابر عن عامر وجبة فلبسهما حتى تخرق لا يدري النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ذكي هما أم لا
Uh, it's reported that Mughirat ibn Shu'ba uh, gifted the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa a pair of hoofs, which he then wore. And uh, in a different chain of narration, um, it's added uh, that uh, a jubba as well, which is an, a, a, an overcoat that's open from the front. And he wore them until they were worn out that they started to tear or wear. And the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa uh, didn't know me. He didn't ask if the, uh, if the hoofs were made of hide, the hide of an animal which was ritually slaughtered or not. And this is a, 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 a difference of opinion amongst the fuqaha. Uh, in general, the jamhur uh, and, and some of the Malikis, they consider uh, leather once it's tanned to be pure, whether it's slaughtered or not. Whereas the, uh, the Maliki madhab, Imam Maliki's fatwa is that tanning doesn't make an impure, doesn't make an impure uh, hide into a, a pure hide. And Allah, Allah Ta'ala knows best. Qala Abu Isa, wa huwa Abu Ishaq, hadha huwa Abu Ishaq al-Shaybani wa smuhu Sulaiman. He makes a note that the Abu Ishaq, which was mentioned in the previous in the previous chain of narration, Imam Tirmidhi mentions that he's Abu Ishaq al-Shaybani, uh, uh, whose uh, first name is Sulaiman. Because oftentimes uh, different narrators may uh, share the same name. Sometimes they may share the same kunya or the honor, same honorific title. Uh, and so uh, this is one of the beauties of Tirmidhi. Imam Tirmidhi adds these little notes to help the muhaddith who reads his book uh, keep these things straight. We move to the next chapter, Babu Majafi Nari Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the chapter uh, of what has been narrated concerning the sandals of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Ubi Kal Hadathana Muhammad Nu Bashar and Kal Hadathana Abu Dawuda, Kal Hadathana Hammam and An Katadata, Kal Kultuli Anasimim, the Ibni Malikim, Kefakan and Nanu Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Kal Lahuma Kibalan. So uh, Qutayba, uh, uh, sorry, not Qutayba, Qatada, uh, uh, he mentions who is a, a, a great sheikh of the Tabi'een and also a great student of Abdullah bin Abbas He said that I asked Anas bin Malik how were the blessed and Mubarak sandals of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And he uh, replied that each had two, two, two toe straps. So like when we have flip-flops or thong sandals uh, nowadays, the most popular design is what? Is that there is one, uh, uh, one, one thong that the, uh, the, 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 the big toe and then the toe next to it, that, that thong strap comes between the big toe and between the second toe. Whereas the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, his Mubarak sandals had two straps, it bifurcated. So it was the uh, probably the big toe and then the middle toe and then the rest of the toes or possibly the big toe and then the middle two toes and then the, the, the other two toes. And I'm not 100% uh, I'm not, I'm not sure about it, but it is known in the design that's transmitted um, uh, uh, by the Hadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that there were two uh, front straps of the blessed sandal of the Prophet and the, the Mubarak sandal of the Prophet also had a very distinctive design which is also uh, uh, transmitted uh, by uh, it's not only transmitted by uh, by narration but it's also known because the actual sandals of the Prophet were seen by so many people 
Um, and so you'll see it oftentimes as a logo or an emblem on people's, on people's, uh, you know, on people's clothing or the clothing, or they'll have a pin, or they'll have it on the top of their their hats uh, or uh, other things. That it, it's kind of like a, um, you know, like a, a bulb, uh, uh, like an arch uh, design, and and then it comes in a, a little bit, and then it comes, it flares out again near the end, and so. Uh, you know, one of the stories regarding the Naz Sharif of the Prophet that I, I like to tell, um, you know, whenever a mention of the Mubarak sandals of the Prophet is mentioned, is that when I was studying in Pakistan, our madrasa was kind of halfway between Lahore and Raiwin, where, where um, I mean, it's a huge village on its own, but the Tablid Marquez is right next to it as well. So it was the closest uh, town uh, to our madrasa, so sometimes we would go to Raiwin to buy things from the market and whatnot, whatnot. There's a cobbler in Raiwin um, who actually would make a custom pair of sandals that looked like the sandals of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And um, I thought that was amazing. And they're really nice sandals. Uh, you know, they're, they, really, they really were nice sandals. They're beautiful sandals. So I went there and I, you know, I asked him how much they were and they were very reasonable. So he actually uh, took a trace of my foot and he made the sandals. He said, come back in like whatever, 10 days or something like that and they'll be ready. So I, I got them made. I went back and they're really uh, well made and really beautiful, made out of black leather. And uh, I, I went to the Darul Hadith in order to uh, go to my dars that day wearing my new sandals. And uh, uh, my uh, teacher, Saji Mulana, uh, Muhammad Hassan, who we mentioned, we narrate this book from, we read this book from, in fact, him in particular. Um, I read the front half of Tirmidhi from him. I read the Sunan of Abu Dawood from him. I read the front half of the Mishkaf al-Masatih from him. I read the Jild of the Hidayah from him. I read the front half of, uh, of Jalalin. I read a number of books from him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, bless him and give him a long life. One of the most Mubarak people uh, I've ever seen one of the most astonishingly Mubarak people I've seen in my life. Um, a man who literally would teach from 10 in the morning until uh, uh, you know midnight or one o'clock in, in the morning every day. He'd go to three different madaris and teach. And uh, it's not that he would sleep until 10, he'd sleep until Fajr, uh, sleep like whatever, four or five hours a night, um, uh, excluding whatever he must have woken up for Tahajjud or whatever. And then when he would get up for Fajr, right after Fajr, he would start just reviewing. Because if you teach all those lessons, you have to review and prepare for all of them at once. So he would just do like a solid two, three hours of preparation and then start teaching at 10. Um, that uh, a very Mubarak person. So he, he walked into the Darul Hadith to teach the Dars. And uh, he saw the sandals and he, his face like lit up. He says, this is like beautiful. He says, this is the... Mubarak Na'al of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the same shape of the, the Mubarak Na'al and Mubarak sandals of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And uh, he said, whose are these? And so I was like really proud of myself. I was like, oh, what's that? It's, it's me. They're mine. I got them made. And he's like, they're so beautiful. He said that, he said that, uh, 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 you know, they're so beautiful. I said, Ustadji, if you want, I can get one made for you as well. And he, uh, you know, his like face like drained. And he says, I could never put these in my teeth. And he literally picked it up with his right hand like this and he kissed it and he put it back down. Obviously, you know, that was like a moment of ultimate, 
failure for me. I felt like a jerk for putting in my my, my feet, but I was astonished by the reverence uh, that he had, um, that these people have of the Prophet wasallam. I guess if we never met these people, we wouldn't have known either. What does it mean to love the Rasul But this is why this is relevant. With the Mubarak and the sandal of the Prophet wasallam. Imagine if a person would kiss a sandal just because it looked like his sandals. Imagine what that person would do for the Nabi wasallam. So we continue. نبي قال حدثنا أبو كريب محمد بن العلاء قال حدثنا وكيع عن سفيان عن خالد الحذاء عن عبد الله بن الحارث عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما قال كان لنعلي رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قبالان قبالان مثنن شراكهما ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما narrates that the blessed sandals of the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم had uh, uh, two toe straps and two midfoot straps. So basically, the two straps were gathered together on a place on top of the on top of the foot, and they bifurcated forward and they bifurcated backward and also tied back into the uh, into the the back side of the uh, back sides both sides of the Mubarak sandals. We call hadathana Ahmed ibn Mani'an wa Yaqub ibn Ibrahim. Qala hadathana Abu Ahmed al. أحمد الزبيري وحدثنا عيسى بن طحمانة قال أخرج إلينا أنس بن مالك نعلين جردوين لهما قبالان قال فحدثني ثابت بعد أن بعد عن أنس أنهما كانتا نعلي النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. So Isa ibn Tahman narrates that Anas bin Malik took out and presented to us two uh, sandals made out of hairless leather. Each of them had two front straps. Thabit al-Bunani, who was the main, uh, uh, the main student of Anas bin Malik and the main narrator from him, uh, he mentioned later on that those uh, sandals that he showed you were the two blessed sandals of the Prophet which indicated that this must have been something that happened when Anas bin Malik himself was very aged. يلبس النعال التي ليس فيها شعر ويتوضأ فيها فأنا أحب أن ألبسهما عبيد بن جريج said to Abdullah ibn Umar رضي الله عنهما Allah تعالى both of them I've seen you wear the hairless I've seen you wear hairless sandals ibn Umar رضي الله عنهما said I saw the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم wear hairless sandals and perform wudu while wearing them and so I love to wear them as well. We call Hadathana Ishaq ibn Mansur and call Hadathana Abdur Razaki and Ma'marin and Ibn Abi Dhibin and Salihin Mawlatu at Tawamati and Abi Hurairah radiallahu anhu. Kala Kana Lina'ali Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam of Qibala. Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu narrates that the blessed sandals of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam each had two toe straps. وبه قال حدثنا أحمد بن مني عن قال حدثنا أبو أحمد 
قال حدثنا سفيان عن السدي قال حدثني من سمع عمرو بن حريث يقول رايت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يصلي في نعلين مخصوفتين سيدنا عمرو بن حريث was heard to have said I saw radiyallahu anhu that I saw the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam praying sandals that had new soles uh, sewn into the old which is also you know it shows their simplicity uh, in that generation the simplicity of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam which was then inherited by the the other companions that they wouldn't throw away things uh, that could still be used but they kept using them and fixing them kept using them uh, for as long as they were usable Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for barakah and the things that we have rather than making us those who uh, disuse things and throw them away lest we become people who do that with other human beings as well. Al-Iyadu Billah. Wabihi qala haddathana Ishaq ibn Musa al-Ansari yu qala haddathana ma'nun qala haddathana malikun an abi al-Zinnari an al-A'raji an abi Hurayrata radiyallahu anhu anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qala la yamshi yanna ahadukum fi na'lin wahida uh, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, as was reported by Abu Huraira, let none of you walk while wearing a single sandal. Rather, either wear both of uh, the sandals or walk with both of your feet bore, uh, with both of your feet bare. وبه قال حدثنا قتيبة عن مالك بن أنس عن أبي الزنادي نحوه and قتيبة narrates from Malik a hadith with this different chain of narration but a hadith of similar meaning وبه قال حدثنا إسحاق بن موسى قال حدثنا معنى قال حدثنا مالك عن أبي زبيري عن جابر عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنها أن يأكل يعني الرجل بشماله أو يمشي في نعل واحدة. سيدنا جابر ابن عبد الله رضي الله عنهما الله تعالى بقيز بوفدن. He narrates that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم forbade that a person should eat with his left hand or walk with only one sandal. And now I feel it's important to mention with regards to the the prohibition to eating with the left hand that only applies to eating. So if somebody is left-handed it's okay to write with the left hand and do other things with the left hand. There's nothing satanic or evil about a person being left-handed. It's kind of is how, how it is. It is how you're born. But it's just in particular eating a person, uh, the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam commanded that they should eat with the right hand and not with the left, even if they are left-handed. Allah ta'ala make it easy. قال حدثنا مالك عن ابي الزنادي عن الاعرج عن ابي هريره رضي الله عنه ان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال اذا تعال احدكم فليبدا باليمين واذا نزع فليبدا بالشمال فتكن اليمنى اولهما تنعل واخرهما تنزع it's a hadith uh, and he brings two different chains of narration through imam malik رحمه الله uh, from uh, Abu Zinnab, uh, from Al-A'raj, who was one of the key students of uh, uh, Abu Huraira, who brings from his Sheikh Abu Huraira, 
May Allah Ta'ala be pleased with him that the Prophet said that when one of you puts on his two sandals, let them start with the right. And when they take off uh, his two sandals, let them start with the left. And let the right sandal be the first one that is worn and the last of them which is taken off. وَبِهِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُو مُوسَى مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ الْمُثَنَّى قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ جَعْفَرٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا شُعْبَةُ قَالَ أَخْبَرَنَا أَشْعَثُ وَهُوَ بْنُ أَبِي الشَّعْثَائِ عَنْ أَبِيهِ عَنْ مَسْرُوقٍ عَنْ عَائِشَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهَا قَالَتْ كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يُحِبُّ التَّيَامُنَا مَسْتَطَاعَ فِي تَرَجُّلِهِ وَتَنَعُّلِهِ وَطُهُرِهِ the Aisha radiallahu anha narrates that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he loved to start from the right as much as he was able to. Whenever he would do something that was worth doing or something of, uh, of habit, he would like to, he would love to start with the right hand and then uh, do the left um, in everything. And that included combing his hair and that included uh, uh, putting uh, uh, on his uh, blessed uh, sandals, and that also included his tahara, meaning his wudu and his, his whistle. So like when you have like a pair of limbs, right? Like, like a right hand and a left hand, you wash the right hand first and then the left. And just like that, when you're making whistle, a person should wash the right half of the body, wipe and rub the right half of the body before uh, wiping and rubbing the left. I know, mashallah, that uh, dalk, which is a condition of the validity of wudu and whistle, is a condition of the validity of both of them only in the Maliki Madhab, but in the other Madhab, it's also a Sunnah. So, uh, uh, inshallah, we embrace that, that when you wash and wipe uh, the body uh, in the whistle, just like in Wudu, you should start everything that comes in a pair, you should do the right half first uh, before doing the left. Uh, in order to make Isaba and Idraq of the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in order to attain the, message, the Sunnah, the prophetic Sunnah. وبه قال حدثنا محمد بن مرزوق عن عبد الرحمن بن قيس أبي معاوية قال حدثنا هشام عن محمد عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال كان لنعلي رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قبالاني وأبي بكر وعمر رضي الله عنهما وأول من عقد وعقد عقدا واحدا عثمان so the blessed sandals of the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم and the sandals of Abu Bakr and Umar both had two Toe straps. May Allah Ta'ala be pleased with them both. The first one to have a single toe strap was Sayyidina Uthman anhu. So inshallah, that is uh, uh, the conclusion of the chapter with regards to the uh, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's Mubarak sandals. And I think it's a good place, inshallah, uh, for today's uh, uh, dars to uh, wrap up. Uh, but uh, inshallah, before we leave, uh, uh, just a couple of reflections that the, the, the majlis the person who takes the most benefit from it is the one who hears about the stories and the ahwal of the Prophet and the noble companions and the mashayikh and the ulama and increases in their love for them and in their following of their ways, it increases in their knowledge in order to that, for that knowledge to be venerated inside the heart and then uh, taken for uh, uh, action, uh, taken for uh, to be acted upon and to be uh, implemented in, into one's life. If a person is unable to do those things, because a lot of the sunnahs that are mentioned here are not fa'id or wajibat, they are not uh, obligations. Um, and some of them may not even be uh, considered from the sunnah of Huda, but they're the noble habits of the Prophet The point is, is what is whether the shoe is in your foot, whether the sandal is in your foot or not, that it should be in, in your heart. That the, 
the, the aqidah that a person has is that whatever the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's habit was and his Mubarak Sunnah was, whatever he did was better than what we did. And uh, what you should get from this also is that every time his blessed name is mentioned that you say the Salat and Salam on him and you make the benediction of Taraddi, Radhi Allahu Anhum, may Allah be pleased with them, with the names of the companions, with the Azwaj Mufaharat, with Ahlul Bayt of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and that you make likewise dua for all of the righteous and the awliya and those people who transmitted uh, uh, this uh, knowledge to us uh, in this Mubarak chain, Silsila, that we uh, grab hold of first an opening with Shamal Tirmidhi, but one, one day we may actually need these people and we need to grab hold of them uh, in order to make it into Jannah as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala vouchsafe uh, that for us. Inshallah, we make dua for a few minutes, inshallah, before uh, before signing off. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa barak ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Ali wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa barak ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala 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 وبركة الصلاة والسلام على النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وبركة محبة للنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وبركة أصحاب النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وبركة أسماء الأسماء التي هي موجودة في الأسانيد المتصلة إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وبركة هذا العلم الشريف وهذه الكتب المباركة التي نتمسك بها والعلم التي هي فيها وسيلتنا وسلتنا إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وببركة الإيمان والإسلام والإحسان وببركة الشهادتين لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وببركة كل شيء باركت فيها اللهم ربنا اللهم ادفع عن المسلمين الآفات والبلايا اللهم ادفع عن المسلمين الوباء وكل شر وكل مكروه وكل سوء Ya Allah, from the barakah of these, this Mubarak Prophet وسلم, that you raised as a mercy for mankind and the barakah of all of those companions who served his risala and served his message and delivered it to us and the barakah of the names and chains of the, uh, and the names of the unbroken chains of narration that connect us to them and all of this Mubarak knowledge, Ya Allah, lift the, 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 the tribulations and lift the, 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 the the, the tragedies and the calamities that befall the Nabi Ummah from above our heads, Ya Allah. All of those who are sick with this uh, pandemic or with any other sickness, everyone who is suffering from this pandemic or any other suffering from the Ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad وسلم, or from the creation, Ya Allah Ta'ala, Ya Allah, lift it and give them a cure and give them protection from all of their woes and from all of their worries in this world and the hereafter. Ya Allah, anyone who did good by us in this, in this world, anybody who has any goodness in them, anyone who we owe it to make a dua, make a dua for them because of their goodness to us, Ya Allah, from those who haven't been guided. Give them your hidayah by the barakah of this Nabi, Nabi Rahmah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Ya Allah, give them hidayah and also give them the tawfiq of reading La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam before they pass from this world and give that tawfiq to us likewise so that we can have a place together forever and ever in your ridwan and in your jannah uh, 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 in, uh, underneath your pleasure with your awliya and that we never suffer uh, nor do we ever have to go through deprivation or hardship ever again. Allah, Allah, ya Rabbana, 
protect the Halamin Sharitin in the Masul Aqsa and give us a chance to visit the Rawdha Mubarak of your Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam again and again and pray over there in this world and give us the visitation of your Jannah, uh, such a visitation that we enter and we never leave ever again. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.